there, salutations. Welcome back to Narsol the Lonely Monster, Narsol Escape Tools, Season 2, Episode 2, and uh, and me talking about narcissism and how you can deal with them, escape from them, manage them if you have to, and life experiences that are, should aid and abet you in your deliberations when surrounded narcissism. Anyway, my name's Nelly, I'm your host, and... I'm only here really not to tell you how to think, but to hopefully give you some good combat indicators in how you could possibly think for yourselves and finally rid them from your lives if you have to indeed. So quick disclaimer, I'm obviously not, you might gather this anyway if you've listened to my previous podcast, I'm a bit out there. I'm not a psychologist, um, not a life coach, although I'm heading in that direction, <coughs> excuse me, but I'm here just to, uh, just to, yeah, just to aid and go on that journey of discovery with you. Um, anyway, moving on. In this episode, we're going to be looking at a couple of things. We're going to be looking at why narcissists seem to prefer to, prefer to provoke their significant others into providing an emotional response. Ooh, good stuff. And the second question will be, I'm friends with this person who's been really, really good to me. But I recently found out that my friend has done some incredibly cruel and depraved things. Should I betray him and turn him over to the police? Hmm. And then we'll pick one and do it live, I think, as we go through. Anyway, that's the introduction. Let's play a little jingle and then we'll crack on with the first question. Hold tight now. Okay, so here we go. When do narcissists seem to prefer to provoke their significant others into providing an emotional response? We've all been there, haven't we? When the person in our midst that's supposed to love us and whatnot um, prods and pokes and tries to get us to respond with some emotional juicy fuel. Well, for me, that's just about the old bait and switch when arguing. So the mask of the narcissist needs to be protected by the narcissist at all costs. And it and it does. Because um, then it's far easier to make a partner rant, rave or cry and then to, you know, subsequently swoop in to take away the pain or worse and more likely to only then calmly state words to the effect of, see, look how angry you've become. It isn't me. Look at yourself. It's kind of always as to the when. And what is key though to this is, is the why. So the stout narcissist will always be chasing fuel and the fuel is ideally in any given dynamic positive affirmations reverse validation praise love in inverted commas and sort of all kinds of surface gooey stuff but very much deceitfully as a ruse for fuel and then later on or even during could be even at the beginning we have the the negative fuel born from the attention seeking and neediness of said narcissist and often a virtual projection of what really ails them. Cheating? Well, no problem. They'll just accuse you out of the blue of contacting an ex, being flirty with a barman waitress. All manner of seemingly jealousy-driven actions come from them projecting their own guilty pleasures or actions as a means to only validate themselves and to, uh, like, gain reverse forgiveness. Bear with me on this. So when a narcissist type starts the confusing fight and seemingly gaslighting tactics, this will naturally drive any neurotypical or empathy-driven type to the point of utter madness, which then elicits the real trauma-based tears, 
the confusion and often anger in the victim, which always leads the narcissist to switch the narrative to being about you. So in that split second, where you might have called her a effing wanker, or you could have just cried from the desperation of the situation, well, they're suddenly then the victim, or more brazenly the hero. It's basically good fuel versus negative fuel, and it's all driven by their own actions alone. Please forgive this analogy, but it's... might have used this before and please do bear with but it's it's almost like a rapist doing a rape and then taking a victim to the hospital sitting with them comforting them and attending counseling with them because they raped them which as your gauge is total madness but you know that analogy sort of still stands with how a narcissist is around people that they provoke so the provocation of any emotional response to a narcissist ways is to play into their very very able and manipulative hands you could do this formula in any situation with a narcissist and I, I kind of call it the dance of the narsole and really once you see it you can't unsee it and it's why from the previous episode it's why grey rocking is really such a thing if you remove the fuel and the car stalls and stutters and eventually stops that's what happens the fuel in this instance is clearly your emotion and the car is the damn narcissist it's kind of like let's play the game that we didn't know we were playing a whole new way so game theory of narcissism is very much a thing let's see the narcissist being crazy at you for smiling at the barman knowing full well they've likely cheated several times themselves they'll be angry at you as they're therefore projecting their own guilt in real-time hyperbole you'll be confused and ready to fight back which we do as we're nine times out of ten completely innocent it's literally all in their heads so let's keep it there by staying still like that grey rock in the stream or river as the waters torrent over us and never rise to that emotional occasion. What does that do though? Well it makes the narcissist have to face the music themselves as it's their actions, it's their guilt, it's their insecurities that have caused all this mess in the first place. And what does that do dear listener? Well it really does bring a massive dose of reality whereby the likelihood of the mass crashing down is expedited tenfold and nuclear narcageddon fallout occurs, which is largely what we all really need to see, them. that's when we see them for what they are, which is petty, spoiled adult with the emotional talent intelligence of a nine-year-old at best. There you go. And that's that. I hope this helps. Hello again. Well, I've just been to make a cup of tea, so me saying hello again is kind of legit because I've been gone about 10 minutes, even though for you it's been, you know, seconds, mere seconds. A jingle, perhaps, is all that separated me saying hello and the last time you heard my voice. Anyway, moving on to the next question. I'm friends with this person who's been really, really good to me, but I recently found out that my friend has done some incredibly cruel and depraved things. Hmm, should I betray him and turn him over to the police? Well, I would say that one should always consider a thing called the greater good, perhaps a sunum bonum moment. The highest good, say, especially really is the ultimate goal, according to which values and priorities are established in an ethical system. So your chum, yes and no. And this is from having to actually make that choice uh, about a year ago, 18 months ago. See, I found myself helping some close friends and new acquaintances in getting what they want from the cause and effect from narcissistic abuse. It's mostly been by complete accident following a 
a ridiculous small GoFundMe I put on the interweb for awareness and to see if I can get funds for school. The awareness part worked though, which was the main outcome I wanted, and I found myself engaging with fellow humans who had been emotionally raped by a narcissist, my ex-friend. Seemingly though, what I shared, the advice I gave and plans formulated actually worked by design and all really validated my continual findings about the whole how-tos when dealing with them. So one of them then clearly was the ex-partner of an old narcissistic chum who only awakened to myself quite recently following my own post-abuse wake-up calls. I knew what he'd been doing or at least I knew some of the nefarious things he'd done but I had zero knowledge of really how much of a bully and emotional manipulator he was until I lived with him for five months a couple of years back. And then for 12 months after that event, I worked with him directly as he wanted to change. Clearly, nothing changed. He never paid back the women he'd ripped off for literally thousands of pounds, despite reassuring me that he had. And so after a 20 year or so friendship, I, I severed it. I went no contact and I served notice on him that he was never going to change and he was actually literally a total pig. Uh, bye bye. And then obviously I launched my own GoFundMe thing and bits and pieces on the internet and I got found by one of his exes who, who reached out. And my God, I missed so much as, as did she really and we openly talked about crossover stories that we'd both been told playing off each other at the time that I was living there in the, you know, with a pair of them. So I told her that she funded his holiday with another woman and she did. And she was naturally hugely pissed off, especially when I told about the actual girlfriend he had amongst those two, and then about the fourth one and the baby mama one. I mean, I couldn't let up, I couldn't stop. I shared, she shared, in nothing but really open honesty with my assurances of an objective outcome, i.e. she gets some dollar back or he goes to prison when we both report him for his actual crimes against people and for his attitude of work-related frauds. Now, he broke the law. He did, and it carries here as well. If found guilty of just simple financial coercion, it's minimum five years if found guilty. And he had three of those for sure, and they stack up. It's not just five years for three events if you're caught, they will stack. So, and he maybe had five or seven lurking in his background, and presently. So his minimum sentence would have actually been 15 years because he'd conned really good people out of their money and really he makes them fight hard to get it back. And we're talking tens of thousands of pounds in a barrage of excuse and self-pity over no more than four to six months each. This one is the epitome of the objective outlook of the narcissist trifecta. No matter the cost, and not exclusively from the same person, they must always have more money, more love, and more sex. So that's a very brief context of that particular situation, which as the series progresses, you'll learn more about, but his ex and I agreed that we had a choice. And I told her all things considered and my own real living crusade against the type will take some sacrifice for me which I'm very willing to commit to in that I'm very aware of where his metaphorical work bodies are buried. I'm aware because he either willingly shared his escapades in proud glory as they do or I'd shamefully been a part of it and I had 12 months to think about this. And I'm all in when I say all in and no way could I summatively crusade against narcissists and yet had enabled one unwittingly for so long. If he was going down I'm sure as hell he was taking as many people with him as he could is what I logically concluded. I also, I also concluded I needed to do it myself first, for myself, and to sun and bottom the shit out of the situation, the highest order, the greater good. Everyone would get happy when they knew the actual real truth of what he is, and then healing could begin, even for his family. 
Uh, his family. Uh, Sonnen Bonham bollocks. Right. So in this instance, then, he did rip people off. He didn't rather rip people off because he was poor. I mean, far from it. He's a high-up exec earning at least $85,000, take home circa $50,000, say, after taxes in this country. He gives cash alimony to his ex-wife to support his child, but I'll take an educated guess that this greatly angers him, and so he steals more money to simply get more. And then what does he do? Well, he gambles with it and gets angry at how he's lost his money. Nasso, need more dollar now. Anyway, he does have a really good family and a parent who is acutely unwell, which is stress-related. And when his family that he supports, uh, and then obviously his family that he supports directly with his salary, his child. And then his victims, getting money from compensation funds from victims of crime is a dice roll, even if they're found guilty. Now, I'm no legal beagle, but I do know the truth of this particular tale, and news articles, by example, now exist of other peoples being convicted and sentenced in the UK against new laws introduced here in 2015 for, for the very same crimes. And yet, these people were convicted and imprisoned for a while, and they were all of a lesser degree or lesser variation to this sorry story. That's a fact. So I'm confident it wouldn't fail, but the outcome would be recovery for a few and a lifetime of pain for the many. Such is the characteristic mask wearing in different dynamics that the narcissist has, the widespread confusion against what are their manipulations would at first be very much allied towards perhaps myself and his ex that he ripped off. Until the story unfolds, and then I'm almost convinced it would be national news. I'm sure such are the depths he stooped to. Nothing but pain and suffering for people who annoyingly have to depend on him financially. Son and Bonham, right? Hmm. Well, same deal, really, is the question you're asked. The question has been asked. It is a very serious matter. So my ex John will hopefully steer clear of me for life, as <clears throat> what I personally decided was objectively balanced with the bigger picture and the wishes of my client, his ex, to hopefully get her money back. I told him in uncertain terms what he had to do and what would happen if he didn't do it, and suddenly he started paying, and so far is doing the right things by his victims wide and far. If he stops paying. His recent victim will undoubtedly report him for financial coercion and she'll cite me as a witness and I'm happy to provide testament to that fact. It really is as simple as that, but I think we're in a unique position of knowing a lot of material facts such as his earnings and even actually some of his outgoings. So I knew for a fact he could afford substantive repayments that his ex happily accepted, thankfully, but at some point the bigger picture has to become blurred. Such as, it's not his victim's fault that he supports the family. It's not his victim's fault that he owes so much money to others. It's not his family's fault. Ultimately, they'll be the ones to suffer. It's really, clearly, all his fault. As for the really, really good to me, no, that's never the case with a narcissist. They'd rather plant a question that only attempts to enable things like seeds of doubt. For me, my really good to me pal has used me as a universal excuse in all of his dynamics that it's all my fault. I was his total flying monkey enabler to what is actually, as it now transpires, a rapist and a complete conman. No matter how good the narsal friend perceives he was to me, it's all wrong. And the greater good isn't always actually the right thing to do. So in my own instance, the right thing to do is to go to the police. These aren't victimless crimes and always against a type of certain income bracket. I think shame and embarrassment is the overall outcome. Clearly not for the allegations of rape, which aren't graphic like you'd imagine, more, more subtle and sly, such as, sorry, didn't hear you say no, sort of thing. I mean, it's still massively shitty. 
I only hope somehow he gets his, which will one day for sure will happen as he's, he's a sort to have to look over his shoulder at all times. So there, quite a long answer that, but essentially in these instances, you've got to do what you believe is right. If any chance exists for the tip to make things right or to bring some kind of balance, then that should also be a consideration with the overall caveat. Well, for me anyway. I'm all in though. If his ex called me now today or changes her mind about the outcome, alleged rape or owed thousands, if she went to the police or any of them for that matter, I would have to give a true reflection of my time with he, the Nassau. So you can always simply distance yourself and let karma sort it out or man woman up and do what you objectively believe to be the right thing with no fear especially if you think people are in danger. Just do the right thing. Okay, okay, okay. Well, so next question. Do people actually believe that being abused by a so-called NPD diagnosed individual makes them experts? By that logic, if I get cancer, am I automatically an oncologist? I just want to express that these aren't my questions. These are questions people have actually asked on Quora. And for me, well, I don't consider myself an expert really on the acts, means and ways of a narcissist by any academic standards, but which I believe from my own experience and research anyway is actually reasonably quite wrong and its basis is a limiting factor in a complete understanding of what a narcissist truly does to another person. There are seemingly no advances for such a problematic societal issue, it's just there isn't it? So the question and the chap that asked it are asking it from a logical, objective and academic perspective and standards. And I read his answers, which by my objective standards are highly overcomplicated word salads that bring nothing to the conversation except really the cold hard facts as written down using someone else's opinion and thoughts, as that's what has been learned. It's incredibly offensive really and quite dismissive of one essential ingredient in the trail of destruction that a narcissist drags us into, which is empathy and a human experience from being abused, let alone the spiritual journey that the experience can actually lead one to. Honestly, I believe the gold standard of understanding narcissistic abuse from a victim's perspective comes really from a counsellor or a trained therapist who's experienced abuse themselves and who has a heart and doesn't just look at the cold facts inside a manual written using other people's thoughts and opinions, but really that's quite a rare thing. So the very next best thing then is collective healing and realising the shared experience, but allowing free thoughts and free speech to come forth so that others can find solace and understanding, specifically knowing that they're not alone in this disaster, in this plight. And this guy keeps popping up to seemingly really detract the person's experience and understanding of the abuse they endured. With outlandish questions such as that and answers that are so empty of understanding and void of empathy that it only leads to one logical conclusion, that this person is cerebrally trained to be sympathetic with cerebral empathy. It seemed widely really throughout all of his answers, which go a little bit like this, you know, um, I'm sorry you've experienced that. Now let me explain using academic stuff why you're wrong. And that's every single time. So the guy may well be a covert narcissist just doing all this to justify his own existence. And this isn't a stretch. Otherwise, you know, I did ask him actually, please elaborate on why they ask such banal questions and detract from people's healing. Granted, people can have their own belief system, based on others viewpoints through academia but generally they aren't bringing anything to the conversation that isn't already known 
and largely it's misunderstood that the whole tone of those help forums is really to help other humans who have been equally abused to heal from that abuse. So, pose the question back to him, have you experienced narcissistic abuse outside of a textbook? And it's a it's a rhetorical question because from his own answers and questions I would say not, which therefore made his opinion sadly redundant. So what helpful advice is someone bringing to that conversation? Well, none really as the whole output is really like watching paint dry and is really in the front to the good people like you listening to this who are surviving and have survived against really long impossible odds and people with cerebral empathy I just don't think they understand that no matter how big their ego is or how big they think their brain is. So I was treated for PTSD for nearly six years from my military days and the only strides I made toward ultimately getting over the worst of it was when my psych nurse, the last one I came across, had also had PTSD and we'd served together in many hotspots so critically it was entirely relatable and knew the war stories that I was had trauma from as he'd been them at the time or in the near vicinity and for me that more than makes my point that the shared experience is everything when it comes to narcissistic abuse and healing. You can't learn what the experience is from a book which only tells you how to diagnose the abuser. I think you should, people in that ilk should really stay in their lane and aim for academia questions from people in academia. What they're doing in forums is going up really to, in relation to the question, is going up to the cancer patient and giving them a cigarette. It's not useful, it's not really wanted by the collective and it's, and it's beginning to show them in the darkest of lights but only because at their core they're missing empathy and a basic understanding for those that were abused. Of course there's every chance that these sort of people are only trying to do their bit to help others and maybe, maybe they do believe that is so by utilising their vast wealth of others' opinions and written texts but they don't ever consider objectively the responses of the people who've been in those situations and who were abused. And what this sort of question isn't, it isn't big, it certainly isn't clever, and is really mostly unwanted and quite crappy useless advice. Of course, being from academia, the constructive criticism shouldn't have triggered him too greatly, as mainly, I think, it'll be well and truly over their heads. Let's do one more live. Let's do a live one. Let's have a look. Let's have a scroll. Um, obviously, the last three answers I've pre-written those. Um, they're on on Quora. If you want to go and take a look, if you don't want to hear my dulcet tones and want to like a read or so, it's all there. Just got to look at my name on Quora and you'll find them. So here we go. Here's a good question: Is a narcissist terrified of the truth? Is a narcissist terrified of the truth? I think everyone's everyone's scared of the truth to a degree. But I suppose I suppose the level of fear of the truth depends on on where they've been and what they've done, I would say. But the difficulty with a narcissist, and this this is always a stretch for it's a stretch to describe, but it's also possibly a stretch to to let sink into one's head. And the reason I say that is because if you consider the attributes that a narcissist that you've experienced if they are truly a narcissist they will have learned that from a young age from possibly a 
a douchey parent or two. Bad parenting is really the, the, you know, parenting by a narcissist creates a narcissist generally, or it can create the other side of that trauma coin, which is a severely codependent person, which has its own trials and tribulations going forward into life. But if they end up narcissistic, it's generally understood that that's learnt and ingrained from the ages of four to nine-ish, which is roughly when our um, our personalities are developed or developing fully. Uh, sorry, the start of the development of personality, um, the, the beginnings of learning a moral compass. Um, so it's it's kind of like um, the question. I, I keep saying this, but it's it's like a it's kind of like it's kind of like a narcissist is working uh, completely in their own reality. All of them are so. And that plays into everything, really, then. So when we have these cool names such as um, gaslighting, for example, oh, the narcissist gaslights me. Well, that, that could be debated that that gaslighting, as we label it, could just be their truth in that moment. I mean, as bizarre as the whole situation seems when they're gaslighting and when they're making their stuff up and throwing you off the, the, the true path of fact and truth with the lies and manipulations, that is... That is them. It's like their their inbuilt defense mechanism that they've learned from such a young age. So when we say is a narcissist terrified of the truth, the throwback to that is possibly, well, what truth? What what truth are they terrified of? Your truth? Well, because your truth to them is you gaslighting them. I, I could debate that all day. And you know, some low-level narcissists just just a corrupt little shitty individuals, aren't they? And they'll manipulate and lie and steal just to get their own way. But it's a lower level um, of narcissism, if you like. And the narcissist, if they were textbook in accordance with the DSM, they're literally operating on a different reality. And that's that's often why as well, when, when we end up on forums, we end up listening to podcasts like this, it's because of the narcissistic abuse experience that we've all gone through. Um, and we can assign that to they're just a dick of a person but i want to learn more about it to heal the reality is they there's an element to them that firmly believe that what they're doing is righteous and that we are the dickheads um as hard as that pill might be to swallow that that for me is um what i describe as almost the red pill of narcissism is that the person in front of you that's lying manipulating coercing stealing from you know there's the the lower level stuff the manipulative bits the the lies and coercion the 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 actionable the actionable um criminality of them such as you know sexual assault physical assault financial coercion blackmail um online bullying stalking etc that's all that's all culminates in a domestic abuse situation or or um, or somebody just guilty of physical assault, financial coercion, etc., etc. So, the truth, the truth to a narcissist, your truth to a narcissist, is this whoosh, literally swooshes over the top of their heads. I mean, it really does, um, and that's why it's so so difficult to communicate with them when they have that mask slippage. Because what are they trying to do? Well, they're just trying to protect that final layer, that final mask, which is that of the broken four-year-old perhaps or four to nine-year-old so are they terrified of the truth i don't think so and i think all that matters in these situations is that 
you as the person that's come through the other side and escaped from a narcissist, be it a familial or a romantic relationship with one, you, you need to know your truth and you need to know the truth of the situation. And often it's not that they're, you know, sat there whimsically planning their nefarious acts out throughout the day. It's just that they're doing it on their instincts because that is the reality that they live in. So why would they be scared of that? No, it's far more important that you, as a survivor of this malignancy, you you are aware of the facts and the truths behind the matter that that person that you dealt with is actually really just a broken child having a bit of a temper tantrum. Yes, I hope that helps. Might squeeze one more in. Be back after a jingle. Well, we're almost at the end of episode 2, episode 2 of Narsol Escape Tools, Narsol Lonely Monster. The other way around, actually, if you flip that. And I truly hope this finds you all working through it, finding your power, realising, rather, the power that you held all the time. But often, um, and this will happen, won't it, that we'll come out of the, come out the other side and perhaps want to go off on a, uh, on a, on a new journey and meet somebody new and this question came up and I thought I'd share it because it's quite poignant really for everybody and this chap's a lovely guy and he writes that he met a survivor of narcissistic abuse like himself via a support group um, online Uh, he goes on to say that she's beautiful successful kind intellectual really everything you could ask for Um, he then says that he's not over his ex and this new lady this new bow if you like understands he's asking should he go for it or not okay so what i said to him was only he can decide really and this goes for everybody if your timing is right to progress any new dynamic that you find yourselves in after the fact of being in an abusive relationship although in that sort of question the 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 gentleman in question has kind of answered his own question there with i'm not over my ex and really to be blunt but also sent out here out there with understanding we, we literally can't love another person until we've discovered the love that we need for ourselves first. Really, that to mask, to mask that pain within another dynamic is kind of the recipe for disaster and why so many people with codependency just jump into another uh, narcissistic dynamic with another narcissist because they're just everywhere. So our codependent nature really does scream out subconsciously that to be loved is the ultimate goal. And when presented with even the initial pangs of somebody interested in us, it goes bananas, doesn't it? With desire that this is it, this person likes me, this person fits the bill of what I need right now. When reality is that what one needs is love for self first, rather than seeking it from another. So in opposition then of the outward idealizing that presents with a person with narcissistic personality disorder, or even just severely narcissistically traited, a person who has a codependent nature can and will very much internalize the ideals of want and needs in another. It's like a sticking plaster to cover up the pain of the past, which really, if left unhealed, will always, always resurface. I can guarantee that. 
all that said if you listen to this and you're thinking about diving into a new relationship and if you think and feel that going forwards and trying to make progress without any self-limiting beliefs or holes on your own past experiences will work out for both of you then there's there really is no harm in trying right but you know there is that fear factor it's very real when we meet someone after the fact and this is a very very valid question given and to everybody out there your own pasts however I would urge caution when diving into relationships that that past that if you can admit it to yourself that you're not over then you could call that baggage couldn't you um so just an fyi then at the end of this podcast signs of a codependent nature which is what sees uh, episode three will be all about signs of a codependent nature are difficulty making decisions in the relationship difficulty identifying your own feelings difficulty communicating in a relationship valuing the approval of others more than valuing yourself lacking trust in yourself and having poor self-esteem having fears of abandonment or an obsessive need for approval having an unhealthy dependence on relationships even at your own cost and having an exaggerated sense of responsibility for the actions of others so you know just from the question alone there this gentleman ticks several of those boxes just from the question but there is nothing wrong with that. Now, any healthy relationship will have some codependency with decent give and take within the dynamic. Codependency isn't a bad thing, as long as it's identified within ourselves. And here this chap says that he met on a forum for actual MPD abuse recovery. And largely, mostly good people who've been in dynamic or in a dynamic with a narcissist are or do have quite latent codependent traits It's why the silly narcissist ways always work so well on our souls. I could therefore posit that this new bow is probably in exactly the same place as this wonderful chap. So for anybody listening, I would add caution and some purposeful deliberation. Can you sit there and say, I love myself enough to forgive my own past traumas, enough to move through them and commence a new abundant relationship? Or are you thinking about possibly taking a massive leap toward an equally traumatized person when both of you are still perhaps only now learning to take baby steps. Lastly, if you do feel this way about somebody else after the fact, there is nothing wrong with how you feel that toward those, these new people. But I can almost guarantee that what you'll both be doing is perhaps using each other as a supportive crutch. And that's fine. That really is, but it comes with that complications from the icky feels and pangs of fanciability. When all reality, what you both may well need is a solid and understanding friend, which is kind of the very best foundation to begin any new dynamic on. Like it really isn't an all or nothing deal here, which probably, that's probably how it feels when you're stepping out into the world after an abusive relationship. I mean, God, I, I sound like a total doom monger there and I'm, I'm definitely not trying to take away anyone's excited feels towards new people. But for now, try and remove the emotionality and look at things objectively. Start using your logic. Um, and truly ask yourself if you're ready for this next step or you know balance it with new friendship as then you can both heal without any complications and see where it all goes because then it'll actually be built on a on a very solid foundation so to anyone out there that's looking to jump into a new relationship after narcissistic abuse ask yourself honestly do you feel ready do you think that your own past traumas will play or are playing a significant part in the decision making process and, you know, I'm also entirely sure that anyone's intuitively, intuitive feels that are tainted by the narcissistic experience kind of knows all this on some level. 
and it's worth asking it of yourself. And there we go. That is episode two. I hope some of those help you, if if one of them or all of them, either way. Um, there is a message function. If you'd like to drop a message and ask a question, next episode will be answered live. Next episode, we'll definitely be going over several questions surrounding um, codependency and really what makes us so attractive to a narcissist in the first place. Well, that's me. I've been Nelly. You've been listening to Narso the Lonely Monster, Narso Escape Tools, Season 2, Episode 2. Thank you for your time. And uh, I hope I've earned your subscription today to the next few that's coming up. You take care now. Power on. Goodbye. Thank you.